are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning. We start a new series today called Life in the Kingdom, Living in Community. And there is a book that you can purchase if you would like to over these next weeks to kind of study along. And some classes and groups are using the book, and it's called Good and Beautiful Community by James Brian Smith. Okay? Good and Beautiful Community by James Brian Smith. You might want to pick that up, and it might help you to kind of stay along in the sermons over the next few weeks. So, yesterday morning, I got up, and I met a group of people at a local restaurant at 7 o'clock. So, it was a big day for Jacob Thomason. He turned 18 years old. And his dad invited a handful of guys to come to a breakfast and to sit around a table and to speak into Jacob's life. And so I got to be a part of that. And so I watched men give him books and give him Bible verses and share with him life lessons that they had learned just trying to speak into Jacob's life. And it was an awesome thing to be a part of for a young man's 18th birthday. And so I'm sitting there with the words of Second, First Peter rather in my mind. And I begin to kind of feel this sense of overwhelming joy of what it is to be a part of a community of faith. Where that men say to another man, I'll invest in your son with you. And I'll be a friend to you. And we'll kind of walk this road together. Because here's what happens when you begin to follow Jesus, okay? Is that you have this opportunity to be a part of an incredible community where there's fellowship and friendship and companionship, and I don't have any other ships, but you can find love, and you can have, you know, belongingness, and you can feel like, hey, these people care about me, and I'm really important to them, and and just coming along realizing that as I walk this Christian life, I'm not walking it in isolation, I'm not on an island, but I live this life out in the context of a community of believers, people who truly become my friends and walk with me. And so... We're going to spend some time talking about what it's like to be a part of this community. Grab a Bible, will you? And let's open it together to the book of 1 Peter. And I'm going to be in chapter 2, and I'm going to start with verse 9, all right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. In the greater conversation, Peter is talking about the fact that Jesus is the living stone chosen by God on which to build His kingdom. And he refers to him as the cornerstone. Now here's the really tough part of the sermon. Some people do not choose Jesus to be a part of their lives. Some people reject him. But in contrast to the people who reject him, there are people who choose him. And so he starts verse 9 with the word but, meaning in contrast to the people who don't choose him, there are people who do choose him. And that's who he's writing to. So he says, but you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Jeff Cox, you are God's special possession. Isn't that incredible? Lane Diffie, man, you are God's special possession. Do you ever feel like you're part of this holy nation? Do you ever consider yourself royal priesthood? Do you ever consider yourself a chosen person? 
That's what Simon Peter is trying to say to you here. Do you understand who you are? Do you have any grasp, Blair Spindle, of your identity in Christ? Here's, here's what happens, though. He moves from who you are to what you do because a life without purpose is not a life worth living. And he says, you are God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into life. You have a purpose. You have a responsibility. You have a mission in your life that you are the person who declares, I used to be in a really dark state of mind and living, but God has brought me out of the darkness into light. Because once you were not a people, once you were not part of this community, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so this is God's word for us today. Amen? All right. Let me invite uh, some friends to come up and join me. Tim and Lisa Haas are here this morning. And uh, I want you to make them feel extremely welcome as they come up to share with us. Man, it is good to have you guys back in Oklahoma City. You have been weeks and weeks in Denver at Craig Hospital. With Hudson, three months ago, life changed drastically. When Hudson was involved in an injury in a football game at Bethany High School. And the result has been a spinal cord injury. And as a family, you guys have been working through all of that with Hudson. I will say it, and I will say it over and over again, that your church family... And beyond your church family, the Bethany community, and beyond the Bethany community, people in Oklahoma City, and beyond Oklahoma City, people all over the United States and the world have been praying for you and surrounding you and loving you. And we still pray with you a prayer of praise that God is going to raise Hudson up, and we pray that God will let him walk again. You know, you guys made a decision a long time ago that you would follow Jesus with your life. And as you made that choice... Um, you have lived out that life in the context of Christian community. And so I wanted just to hear how you're doing and how Hudson's doing and what impact that Christian community has had on you in these last three months. Well, first, uh, we want to... Uh, it's overwhelming. I use that word a lot. Um, it's overwhelming to be here, as I told the people in first service, that uh, there were many, many Sundays that we longed to be sitting in here. I didn't want to hurt their feelings, but when I pictured that, it was during this service, because this is the group that, <laughs> this is the group we, we worship with each Sunday. Um, but we are, we're, we're doing good. It is great to be home. And I, uh, Hudson is, uh, Hudson's doing good. He, uh, again, our, what you hear a lot around our house is one day at a time. Uh, actually, we call it, we say one play at a time. Mm-hmm. That's what we always say. And, uh, uh, but from the beginning, uh, it was very evident that God has wrapped his arms around us as we drove to the trauma center 
from Blanchard that night and you pull into the parking lot and you're met by friends and family that have already made their way there and you hear God whispering, I got this. And he kept his word of that. Regardless of where we went, uh, God has mobilized his kingdom and his people. Uh, as, a, as a kid growing up in the Church of the Nazarene, um, I, I had said earlier that the... Uh, the only thing I really knew about the Church of the Nazarene is we had a weird name, and it was hard to, as a little kid, to try to explain when your kids or your friends ask you, what's a Nazarene? And uh, so you just default and say, oh, we're like the Baptist. Uh, I didn't know what else to say. I have... I have... grown to greatly appreciate the Church of the Nazarene for the fact that you can go hundreds of miles from home and meet total strangers but yet they call themselves a Nazarene and there's an instant bond but it's been even greater than that I mean just People from all over, from everywhere. And it's been so amazing to watch God work through his people to love us. How he sends his people to us at the exact right time with the exact right words. And so as we are going through this... um, Lisa and I would, first of all, want to say thank you to all of you for all of the uh, support, but most importantly for those prayers. I prayer still a mystery to us, or it is to me. I don't understand all the aspects of it in regards to we have an all-knowing Father, but yet I do know when if Jesus prayed, we're supposed to pray. And I cannot tell you how your prayers have lifted us up and have, but I also want to say that we serve an awesome God. That keeps his promises. And he is a good, good father. And we're honored to serve him. Yeah. So you, you come back home and, um, and you knew that some changes would have to be made at the house and some people began to get involved. But um, you were a little surprised and so was Hudson when you got home. Yeah, Hudson, Hudson knew he was not going to be able to go to his room upstairs. And so we were going to switch him to our room downstairs and he he knew that we had been talking about some changes but 
I could tell he was pretty bummed because he was going to have to hang out in an old folks' bedroom. <laughs> Yet, it's just a reflection of how God works because we have a group of people step in and they don't just put a little ramp up here or some handrails here. They deck it out. They go beyond your wildest imagination and just outpour love on a 17-year-old kid who I'm sure is at times in the middle of the night scared and unsure about what's coming down the road. But yet you have people come in and say, just a little reminder, he's got you. I want you to bow your heads with me, would you? And Lord, we do again today what we have done for three months. We surround this precious family with our prayers. And we thank you, Lord, for the people in this community. I think about the way this school has reached out to them, the city, um, whether they were in Colorado or In Oklahoma City, you had people there to love them and to pray with them and to encourage them and to share with them. And Lord, we are grateful for every every person you set in motion. Thank you for your grace. And, And we continue to pray, Lord. We continue to pray that you will bring healing to Hudson Paws. And that you will raise him up. And that you will make him strong. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You want to say thanks to Tim for sharing and for Lisa. So in in light of their story, I want you to know that when the gospel comes into our world, it comes to the Middle Eastern part of the world 2,000 years ago in a culture where people first thought about being part of a community and then they thought of themselves individualistically. I think you're hearing me. So when you met a person in that part of the world 2,000 years ago, they did not first tell you about individual accomplishments. They first talked to you about introducing themselves as they would introduce themselves. They first talked to you about the people to whom they belonged. That's, That's where the gospel came into that culture. Because in their minds, being a part of the whole was extremely important. And in their minds, it was more important than what I've accomplished on my own. And so Simon Peter writes. You, you, may, you may say, Rick, what do you see when you stand up on Sunday morning? Every Sunday you stand up and you, you look out at us and, and uh, what, what do you see? And, and I would say to you that I see a chosen people. Here's what I see. I see a royal priesthood. Here here is what I see. I see a holy nation. 
And so what happens is Simon Peter being one who is steeped, I mean steeped in the Old Testament, and those words may not have the kind of depth of meaning that they may eventually will have to you because you say, I really don't know what royal priesthood is all about, but I think I understand more, you know, what chosen people are to be holy, but... But that's what Simon Peter sees. And what he is trying to say to you is that the temple where God dwells has been rebuilt. But newsflash, it's not over in Jerusalem. It's living stones all around the world because now what Simon Peter is saying is that God lives in you. God dwells in His people. And you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. That's who you are. That's your identity. But he didn't say that you are a chosen person. And he didn't say that you're a royal priest. (laughs) And he didn't say that you're a holy individual. In every sense, he used the words that implied pluralism. You are God's chosen people, not a person. You are a holy priesthood, not a priest. You are a holy nation, not an individual. And he sees you in light of being a part of this incredible community of faith. So, I don't know how long it's been since you've been, but recently I was at a wedding. And I sat there and I watched these two people stand before their mom and their dad and their grandparents and their brothers and their sisters and their extended family and all of their friends. And they made incredible statements to one another, statements that were overwhelming, statements that said, you know, in sickness and in health to love and to cherish. I mean, until death do us part, I'm telling you that I commit myself to you and only to you. I mean, I watch these two people stand here, and I'm convinced sometimes they have no idea of the commitment they're making to each other, but they're making the commitment, and they say that I'm yours no matter what, and they enter into a lifetime covenant with one another. And when Simon Peter says, you are God's chosen people, he is reaching back into the Old Testament, and he's coming out with a phrase that links him directly to this idea of God making covenant with his people, saying, like two people who stand to get married, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And the idea is that everybody is chosen by God. Everybody who says yes are a part of his chosen people. So, let me tell you a little story, maybe to help you with the next word that he uses. I I was raised in this little town in Kentucky, and uh, my given name is Ricky Wayne Harvey, and I have a first cousin whose name is Jimmy Harvey. Everybody's last name had to end in Y, where I was raised. And so uh, when when we were 19, Jimmy and and I, uh, I began to feel that God was calling me to ministry. I was raised in the Church of the Nazarene in a Protestant church. Jimmy was raised in the Catholic church. His father married um, his mother who was Catholic and converted to Catholicism and Jimmy was raised as a Catholic. He's feeling a call to ministry the same time. I'm feeling a call to ministry. We're first cousins. I become a minister in the Protestant world in the Church of the Nazarene. He becomes a Catholic priest. We are both 40, 50 rather, four years old. And so, one day his mother passed away. And I went to the funeral the mass and there wasn't one priest there and it wasn't like there were several priests there 
It was like there were lots of priests there. And I began to see this closeness that they had with each other. And so kind of on the sidebar, I'm talking to Jimmy about what it's like to be a Catholic priest and how different his life is as a priest that mine is as a pastor in a Protestant church. And he begins to explain to me something pretty powerful. And he says, you understand that we take the vow of celibacy. So I'll never have a wife and I'll never have children. And so when my mother dies, the reason all of these priests show up is because these priests are my family. And that day something changed in my mind when I hear the word priesthood. Because what it did, it screamed to me this concept of community and love and belonging and care and all of those things. So here's what Simon Peter says about you. You are not a priest, but you're a part of a priesthood. And it screams community to me. And not only you're part of a priesthood, but you're a royal priesthood. Now, you've got to think with me for a minute. You cannot be royal and you cannot be a priest on your own ability. Both are positions that you are born into in the Old Testament days, okay? So the only way that you're royal if you're born into a royal family. And the only way that you're priest if you're born into the Levite family. And here's what Simon Peter says. Not only are you this chosen people of God who have entered in covenant with Him, but you are a royal priesthood because God said you are. And you can go to the Father on your own. You have access to God. And you can bow your head and you can pray and you don't have to have anybody do that for you. You can just, you can just enter into prayer and God hears you. You have access to God on your very own. Now, now, growing up, we knew that Sunday was a day unlike any other day of the week. It was just that way. There were things that we did on Sunday that we didn't do on the other days, and there were things that we didn't do on Sunday that we did on the other days. Sunday was a very different day. And the reason it was a very different day for us was because we celebrated Easter every Sunday of our lives. We honored the Lord's Day, Sunday. And what we did was we took the Sabbath principles of the Old Testament and we applied them to Sunday. And so Sunday was a very different day. We didn't do a lot of things on Sunday that we did other days, but on Sunday we did some things that we didn't do other days as well. It was a day unlike any other day of our week. And the reason we did was because in the Old Testament, God says in one of the commandments, remember the Sabbath day and keep it. Do you know in the New Testament when Peter talks about holy, the Greek word, which was what the the New Testament was originally written in, Do you know what the word is? It's hagias. And do you know what the root meaning of hagias is? Different. And so if you were going to be a holy person, (laughs) just like the Sabbath is a day that's different than all the other days, then that means you're going to be different. From all the other people. That you live your life in a radically different way than everybody else in the world would live their life. In the Hebrew language, the word that we translate holy is kadosh, and it means to be separate or set apart. And when God gave the people the law, the whole idea was that you're living to a code that's different than anybody else is living to. 
Now let me just be honest with you for a minute, okay? When I was a kid growing up and the idea was being different, I wasn't excited about being different. In fact, I didn't like the idea sometimes that we didn't get to do things that other people got to do. And sometimes I wasn't always sure why we were doing the things that we were doing. But I knew that my parents and my pastor were moving me toward different. Like God is different. But here I am at 54 years of age. And you know what? I pray all the time for you and for me. I pray that somehow by God's grace, He would help us to be different. I mean, so different that people would look at us and say, Wow, aren't they different? Who loves like those people? Who gives away as much as those people? Who cares as much as those people care? Who goes on the other side of the world to try to help somebody like those people go to the other side of the world to try to help somebody? Who in the world is like this group of people? I want to be like this group of people. I pray that somehow God will make us so different that the world will look at us and say, Man, you guys aren't like everybody else. You don't retaliate like other people do. You don't bite back like other people do. You don't get revenge like other people you do. You don't hate like other people do. You don't do that kind of stuff. You are so different. I wish we could be like you. And so Simon Peter reminds us, you are God's chosen people. You have entered into covenant with Him. You're this holy priesthood that you couldn't do on your own, but you're holy because God says you are. You're royal because God says you are. You're a priest because God says you are. And you are a holy nation. God has set you apart from all of His world that people would see the difference in you. Now, here, here's the deal, okay? Every time I stand to preach, I think that you can't leave without me saying, this is what we're going to do with this. What do you do with this? Is there something we're going to do today when we leave because we've heard this word today? And there is something that you do, and it's in Scripture, and it's very clear, okay? Somebody sent me a link to a YouTube um, video, and I watched it this week, and it is the guy whose name is Penn, uh, oh, his last name is slipping my mind, um, Gillette. He is part of the magician comedy routine of Penn and Teller. And so Penn is the taller guy, and he is a proclaimed atheist. So he says, I don't believe that God exists at all. And so he's telling the story about doing a show. And after the show, he said, we will get people to have the opportunity to get an autograph and meet us and that kind of thing. And so after a show, I'm talking to these people, I'm signing autographs, but there's a guy over here and I call guys like him guys who hover. They just wait until kind of everybody goes away and then they come. And so he says, he comes up to me and he was very kind. And he was very polite. And he looked me in the eye when he talked to me. And he was extremely complimentary about things that I had said in the show and all that. He was really a nice guy. And so we talked for a few minutes and he was very, very kind to me. And he says, then he says to me, I brought you a gift. 
And he pulls out of his pocket this little book. It's about this tall and about that wide. And he said it was a, a New Testament. No, it was a Psalms New Testament is what it was. And he had written his phone number in the front page. And he said, if I would ever like to talk to him more about Jesus, or finding eternal life that he would like to talk to me. I could call him. He says, but he was super nice, and he was kind, and he was complimentary, and he looked me in the eye, and he treated me with respect, and he was very complimentary. And he said, somebody asked me, did it not bother you that he was trying to proselytize you? Did that not bother you that he's trying to convince you to believe like he believes? Wasn't that offensive to you that he did that to you? And Penn says, no, it wasn't at all. He was very kind. He was very gracious. He was complimentary. He looked me in the eye. He talked to me with lots of respect. No, not at all. He said, in fact, I have another question. And here's the question that I have. If you are a Christian and you really believe that you have the gift of offering somebody the news about how to have eternal life, then here's what I would ask you. How much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them that stuff? Because he says, I'm not a Christian. But if you're standing in the street and I see a truck coming at you, I'm going to run with all my might and tackle you if I have to, to get you out of the way of the truck. So here's what I want to know. If you're a Christian and you really believe that you can share with somebody the gift of eternal life, how much in the world do you have to hate them to keep that from them? So, you know the journey that I've been on in the last year or so. And how I feel like that God is saying, Rick, you know what I want Bethany First Church to be? I want you to be the church that makes every effort to connect people with Jesus. I mean, I want you to go to any length, any measure. I want you to make this is what your life, your church is about. And so as we move toward Christmas Eve this year, we begin to say, how are we going to, during Christmas Eve, make every effort to connect people with Jesus? And a lot of people come. In fact, over the years, we've had about 2,800 people show up on Christmas Eve. We don't give it a lot of effort, to be honest with you. They just come. We do a service. But this year, we said we're going to make every effort. And this year, we didn't have 2,800 people come. We had 3,700 people come. We added a service, and we did some change into the times and created this incredible environment back in the atrium where people could come after they left the service, and they could drink hot chocolate and coffee and eat cookies, and their kids could do this fun maze thing, and they could get their pictures made, and they could just talk to people who go to church here. And what was interesting was that some of the people who go to church here came to the atrium, but I think that everybody who didn't go to church came to the atrium. It was awesome. And we got to hang out with these people, and they asked us questions about the church. And we got to share Jesus with them. And me and other pastors in the atrium got to pray with people. And even at the end of every service, we gave people an opportunity to stand where they were. I mean, standing up right where you are, and I'm going to pray for you. And people stood all over the room in all three services. And so, Simon Peter, you are telling me that I am a chosen people. You are telling us that we are a royal priesthood. You are telling us that we are part of this holy nation. We are God's special possession. Now, what are we going to do with this? And he says, so that you may declare, announce, share, tell, reveal, let people know that one day you lived in darkness, but now you live in light.
That's what you do, he says. Why? Why would I do that? Why would I declare? Why would I announce? Why would I proclaim? Why would I tell other people, hey, you know what? I used to be in darkness, but now I'm in light. Jesus has changed my life. He has forgiven my sins. He has made me heaven ready. Why would I do that? And here's what he says. Because at one time you were not a people. You were not a part of this community. But now you are a people of God. And there was one time that you would not receive mercy. You were going to die in your sin hopelessly. But now you've received mercy. And since God has given all of this to you, how do you feel about sharing it with somebody else? You should share it with somebody else. And so here is the message this morning. It's kind of simple when you put it all together. Here's what he's saying. You have the opportunity of being in a community where you are loved and where you're cared for and where you belong and when there's friendship and there's fellowship and there's companionship. So here's what I want you to do as a community. I want you to open those doors as wide as you can get them and I want you to declare to other people, we want you to be a part of this community too and we want you to know Jesus like we know Him. That's the message. Every day I live my life so blessed to be part of this incredible faith community. And deep in my heart, I long to know how to better invite others to know Jesus and be part of this community too. Well, I'm finished. And, and I'm a little over time. So why don't, why don't I do this? Why don't I ask you to stand, and then, and then I'll pray for you, okay? And I'll pray for me because I need it as bad as you need it, I promise you. And then after I've prayed, uh, we'll let you be dismissed, okay? So will you bow your head with me? And uh, would you do this? Would you not somehow um, think about lunch just yet? So right now, let's, let's pray together, and let's, let's all join together in a, in, in a spirit of oneness and a heart of unite, being united and let's call on the Lord, okay? So God, here, here we are standing before you right now and we know that we know that we know that you hear us pray. I don't know what to say except thanks. Thanks for letting me be part of this incredible group, this community, this, this people. And Lord, by your grace, help every one of us to be really good at declaring, announcing, telling, sharing, inviting others to know you and be part of this community too. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. 
visit us online at bethanynaz.org.